opportunity to share a message with you. I left in uh, the summer of 2004, so it's been seven or eight years since I was really here as your pastor, and some things have changed since then. You've changed, I've changed, we've all changed some since then, and I thought I'd begin today just by talking a little bit about back then and now, just to catch you up on a few things. Um, you know, there, were, there was something I don't think I ever told you all about the time I came in view of a call as your pastor. Uh, I'm pretty analytical and organized, and I try to map out all the details, but I forgot one thing that day I came to preach in view of a call. I was accustomed to preaching in a sanctuary that was about this wide and went straight back. And in this place, everybody's closer, and you have to do this a lot. And I felt like bobblehead dentist during that sermon. I actually got dizzy a couple times during that sermon. Possibly you noticed, and that may explain a lot, but it was, that was back then. Now things are a little bit different. I won't be bobblehead dentist, but I do have transitional bifocals, and I may just fall off the stage on my own. Okay, so, but you've gotten older too, so I'm very comfortable saying that. It's all right. Uh, my family's doing well. Uh, Karen is doing great. She and her mom are up at Estruma today where we attend, and she's doing well. The big thing that's changed on our end there is that seven or eight years ago, her mom, Miss Kay Crochet, was living in Bossier. And this past December, Miss Kay has been battling some medical issues. She moved in with us down where we live in Gonzales. And so that's been a journey. I think Miss Kay's about decided we have enough chaos going on in our house to keep her busy. So all that's working out pretty well. I'm glad to have my boys here with me today. And probably the biggest thing that's changed is back then with them and, and today with them. As you can see, they've grown up quite a bit. Uh, Matt is my older son. Uh, Matt was entering third grade when we left here. He's now a junior, 16 years old, and is just doing great. Uh, really enjoying what he's doing uh, in school and just having a wonderful time. When I was here in 05, I described Matt as a cerebral, introverted, free spirit. Nothing's changed except this. I understand better what that means now. It means I don't have a clue what he's going to do or say until it's too late. That, that's pretty much what that means. But he's a wonderful son and a great son. He still has a passion for the classics and Latin and uh, really enjoys that, competes on the state and national level and those things. And so we match just a delight as a son, and we enjoy him so much. Uh, Andrew is here. Andrew was actually in the Mother's Day Out program when we first came to Cross Point, And he was in kindergarten when we left Cross Point. Andrew is now in eighth grade. He's 13 years old, and he is a joy to be around. Of course, he plays drums. That is his instrument of choice. He had to choose the quietest thing he could find. And uh, he does a great job with that and loves drums. He loves school, has a wonderful time at school, except that he doesn't believe in busy work. And so we were working through the beginning of the school year, and I said, Andrew, how's it going? And we walked through each class. And he said, said Dad, this class is good. I like my teacher, but she's one of those I heart project teachers, and I don't like projects, Dad. So, so he does great in school, but just doesn't enjoy all of those projects. So things have changed quite a bit. We've changed. You've changed. Uh, a lot has changed during our time, but it is a joy to be with you today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17 today, and I invite you to open your Bibles to that text. We're going to be there. It's going to be just a few minutes before we get there, and we're going to survey a lot of that chapter today. So I invite you to keep your Bibles open as we will be looking at that text in just a few moments. The book of Acts is a great book. It's really a book about the journey the early church was going on and the journey that the leaders of the early church were going on as God unfolded his plan for that generation. It was an exciting time and the church was flourishing. It was also a challenging time 
where, where the church had uh, different obstacles that it faced, and there were, was persecution going on, and yet the gospel really, really infiltrated the culture, and a lot of wonderful things happened as God was unfolding his plan in the early church. Now today, even though the book of Acts can be viewed in its entirety almost as the journey of the early church, we want to look at just one snippet, Acts chapter 17, just one small section of that journey today. But before we look at that, I want to try to, try to set a backdrop and, and try to draw an analogy from something that's happening in our society today that I think will help us understand uh, kind of the, the heart of the, the message we want to talk about today. So if you'll give me just a few minutes and bear with me, I, I want to try to try to just talk about something going on in, in our modern society, and I need your help with that uh, to, as, as an analogy and a backdrop. And the analogy I want to draw from is from the world of politics. I'm not going to preach about politics, but I want to draw an analogy from the world of politics. Now, for those of you who do know me, I'm not going to teach a lesson without you having a chance to share, right? You know that, so this is your opportunity. We have some ground rules. No whispering, because I can't hear you. No yelling, because nobody wants to listen to you then. But we need everybody to share. We're going to start off with some easy stuff, okay? Here's, here's the first question. Is everyone aware there's a presidential election coming up? Very good. Everybody's aware. Anybody not aware there's a presidential election coming up? Okay, good. So we're on target there. Let's just remind ourselves on the Democratic side, who's at the top of the ticket? Barack Obama. Who's at the bottom of the ticket? Barack Obama. Okay, I heard y'all. Y'all are already acting up, and we haven't even gotten into the message today, okay? By the way, I take my glasses off because I can't see who's saying what, so you're safe. Don't worry about it, all right? On the Republican side, who's the presumptive nominees, the terminology they use? Mitt Romney. Who's the other person on that ticket? It's the vice presidential candidate. Paul Ryan. Okay, so y'all are doing really well so far. Now, here's where you're going to have to help out a little bit more to kind of set the stage for the lesson today. I want you to think in your mind, don't say anything yet, about the number one issue that you believe is facing this country that this election is going to impact, okay? So I'm talking about one-word topic, two words, maybe three words. And in just a minute, I'm going to count to three, and I want everybody just to, in a conversational tone, state what that issue is. Okay, so you got it in your mind? You're an informed group. I know that. I can tell already. All right? So on the count of three, I want you to say that. Ready? One, two, three. Very good. Did y'all understand when I heard economy, heard jobs? Could have been all kinds of other things, right? Supreme Court justices, Middle East policy, entitlement reform. Everybody said different things, and they had two seconds to state it. Now, one more thing I need your help with before we draw this analogy. An informed citizenry is important because we need great leaders, right? And you look like an informed citizenry to me. Yes, you do. Okay? So now what I need you to do is, in, when I count to three this time, I want you to elaborate and explain to me, pretend I don't know anything about this, why the topic you chose is the most important topic facing America in this election, okay? I'm not going to tell you how long you're going to have to do that, so you're going to have to start talking, and you're going to have to explain this to me. Can you all do that? Okay, on count to three. Everybody's got to do it. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, stop. And America's in trouble. You guys did not explain that real well. Okay, now you did. It's a little bit different when we go from just stating a topic to explaining a topic, isn't it? And yet you only had to talk about it for about nine seconds. Now, how's that going to help us with our text today? Let's think a little bit about what's going on right now in our society. Do you know that when it comes to communication, 
the length of time the direct quotations of political opponents have shrunk through the years. You know, 1968, when they showed snippets of candidates, they were 43 seconds long on average. By 1988, they were nine seconds long on average. CBS actually came out with a policy in 1992 that said, we're not going to show any snippet from a candidate, any soundbite, unless it's at least 30 seconds long. And that just fell by the wayside. And today, we're back to seven, eight, nine-second long soundbites. So think about it, guys. We have these incredibly important elections coming up with Barack Obama and Joe Biden over here and Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan over here. And these guys are hopping on buses every day, going from town to town to town with these really important messages to share. And they're trying to communicate why these messages are important because we need an informed citizenry to make important decisions in this election. And yet, for all of their effort and all of their time, they're trying to do that in about nine-second sound bites in what I would call a talking points soundbite culture. Now, how does that relate to us? What's been on my heart recently as I've been preparing for this message is that we not only live in an instant gratification society, but the way we communicate in today's society has changed. And the message we as believers have to share is so much more important. And yet we're trying to engage that very same culture. We're trying to engage a culture that communicates in talking points, a culture that receives its information in sound bites. And so I've been thinking, how are we doing as the church in sharing that message in a culture that has changed significantly through the years? But today what I'd like us to do is look at Acts chapter 17 and kind of view it just like the bus ride the candidates are taking. In Acts chapter 17, they go from town to town to town, Paul and Silas do. They start out in Thessalonica, and then they go to Berea, and then they go to Athens. And somehow, back then, they were able to engage their culture in a substantive way. And God honored the way they engaged their culture. And the early church flourished during those days because they were able to engage the culture in substantive ways, sharing a significant message. And as I've reflected on my own life in preparing for this message, I realized that I've been challenged by this chapter. Because though I may be praying for people and inviting people to church and those types of things, back in that day, they engaged the culture in some very significant ways from which I can learn and perhaps from which all of us can learn. And so today, I just want to share some reminders with you. It's, it's a basic message, but I want to share some reminders with you about how we as God's people can engage today's culture that so often just receives its information in little sound bites or or little tweets, or just very small messages. How can we engage that culture in a significant way? Reminder number one. This one's very simple. It's so basic. And here it is. As God's children, we are called to be intentional in how we live our lives. In other words, we're called to live life with a purpose and to, to intentionally keep in mind that we too are on a journey that God has called us to walk. And a large part of that journey is to be aware, to be cognizant of what's going on around us and to take advantage of opportunities that we have to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what we see in the life of Paul and Silas. It was a different culture back then in Acts chapter 17, but, but every day they seemed to get on their bus and they seemed to go from town to town to town and they had ways of effectively engaging the culture because they were intentional about it. 
They thought about it. It was on their heart. It was on their mind that God had called them to a great task. And they wanted to participate in what God was doing in their lives. So they were sensitive as God gave them opportunity to share. We need to be intentional. I had a coworker one time who told me a story about what he liked to do with his sons. Um, He was a, a fan of Western books. And he said, Dennis, I read this book one time and after everything was said and done, the, the lead character kind of finished the, finished the book outside of a town on his horse on a ridge looking over the town while the battles were fought. And out this way was just kind of wide open country. And somebody rode up beside him and said, what are you going to do now? And he looked at the town and he looked over this way and he said, I think I'm just going to ride over yonder. And the guy said, what I love to do with my two sons is do something what I call yondering. So he'd get his two sons, and they'd just take off for two or three days. They had no plans, no, way out, no idea what direction they were going, no itinerary. And they had some wonderful adventures. One, one time they went to a town two or 300 miles away from where they lived, and that town happened to be celebrating their anniversary, and, and they were the only outsiders there, and they were welcomed in and treated as honored guests all day long. And to this day, his sons and him remember that very special time. Guys, Paul and Silas weren't yondering. They were intentional. They had specific places they wanted to go. We see that beginning in Acts chapter 17, verse 1. We see that they were on a journey. They'd already been wandering through different places. And now in Acts chapter 17, verse 1, we're just laying the foundation here. It says, when Paul and his companion had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. We say there's not a lot in that verse. Well, this is just the introduction. Point two is going to be our main point today. All I want you to see is that in Acts 16, they were journeying with God, and they didn't stop, even though they went through some challenging times. In Acts 17, they got back on their bus. They went from town to town to town, and they had a purpose. They had intentionality. They had a message that they were called to share, and they didn't let the results that they were experiencing in any town impact that message. If we're going to impact a talking point, soundbite culture, we're going to have to be intentional in what we do. Reminder number two. We're not only called to be intentional, we're called to be strategic. And that's really, really the heart of the message. If you look in Acts chapter 17, I just want to read the first three or four verses. And if you don't think about anything else today, these are the verses that have really challenged my heart as I've prepared this message. There's some, some wonderful truths in them about engaging our culture. Let's begin in verse 1 again. When they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. Now guys, there are a lot of words in those particular verses that that, that really challenged me as I look at the journey that I'm on with God. As I look at that passage, the first word that jumps out to me is that word reason. These guys, as they were intentional, were also very strategic, and, and they went about and they were able to get to the point in those relationships where they reasoned with people, where they explained about Jesus from the Scriptures, where they, where they proved Jesus who He was from the Scriptures. And that's a wonderful reminder for me as I thought about this passage today. You know, I want to share with you briefly four elements of being strategic that I think we see here. They're not going to blow your socks off. They're basic, but they work. And we see them in this passage. Here's the first one. 
God has a strategy for you to impact the culture around you. And the first element of that strategy is where you go. Where you go. Do you know that God has specific places that he's called you to be? And in those places, God has specific things he wants you to do. Sometimes God just lays it out for us. He has a call for us to go to a foreign mission field or a call for us to to go to a certain place or a certain place of work. And other times, as we look back over our lives, we see how God had us in a certain place for a specific reason, and we don't even know it until, until until it's almost too late. If you think about the political analogies, think about these candidates hopping on buses. Do they stop in every town? Do they even go to every state? Not a lot. There's a strategy behind what they do. They're going certain places to convey their message for certain reasons. And so in our lives, God calls us to specific places. In this text, we see the pattern over and over. Uh, Do you know, in that particular time, it was in Macedonia in the Roman Empire, and it was divided into four districts. And what I find interesting about these passages is it's you get the impression that these guys just go through Amphipolis, through Apollonia, and they go right on to Thessalonica. You know, it's about 32 miles from town to town to town. And you don't get the impression that they stopped at the first two towns. Instead, they went on to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. And that's where they stopped and went into the synagogue. And that was the strategy that God had laid on their heart to be able to share. And that strategy was carried through the rest of Acts chapter 17. In fact, if you look at Acts chapter 17, verse 10, they leave, they leave where they are in Thessalonica. They go to Berea, and they follow the same pattern. Verse 10 says, As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea, and on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And and if you continue through the rest of the chapter, in Acts chapter 17, verses 16 and 17, it says, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. You see their strategy unfolding. God had a set place he wanted them to be. He wanted them to be in certain cities and certain towns. When they got there, he wanted them to go into the synagogues and begin their ministry there. In our lives, God has called us to certain places. Strategic element number two, though, not just where we go, but who we speak to. It's very interesting to me. Did y'all notice? Are y'all hot? It is hot up here. Are y'all hot out there? Thank y'all. They're all told me that. Turn the fan on. Are y'all hot though? Well, y'all should be preaching when you hadn't done it in several years. Y'all would be stressed out too, hot up here. I'll tell you what. I just preach the rest of the sermon from over here. I might get dizzy and fall off the stage. Thank you very much. Well, that feels great. Man, I feel like I'm reasoning with you guys today. I'll tell you what. Golly. Make any sense? Intentionality and strategy, okay so far? Element one on strategy, where we go. Element two on strategy, who we speak to. Do you notice they always seem to go speak to the Jews first in the synagogues? Did y'all catch that? Isn't that interesting? Why do you think that is? Y'all have some ideas? I'm sorry? Okay, Jesus was a Jew. Good. What else? Sorry? They already knew about God, kind of had that foundation and something in common. Okay, good. It's Diane, right? Good, Diane. 
They were looking for the Messiah, and actually, strategically, if you look at it, that's the name of God he uses, isn't it? He was explaining to them and persuading them that indeed Jesus was the Messiah. It's in verse 3 or verse 4. Thanks, Stacy. Anything else? I'm sorry? Jews were God's chosen people. That's not a bad place to start, is it? You know what some people posit? Some people, as they've studied this text, have said that a lot of what's going on here is that there were two main audiences. There were Jews and non-Jews, or the Greeks. And, and speaking to the Jews, they had such a, such a religious tradition like Diane was speaking about in culture, whereas the Greeks didn't, that in some ways the Jews might not listen to them if they went to the Greeks first. Some people have posited that idea. And so it's interesting what happens. They go to these different cities, and in each one they go to the more active synagogues, They go in and speak to the Jews, God's chosen people, who have this religious tradition and this religious background, and they begin looking at the scriptures, which the Jews would know, and explaining and proving and reasoning with them. It's very interesting. It's very strategic. Because I read the text, and I'm like, why why didn't they stop in Amphipolis, and why didn't they stop in Apollonia? Didn't people need Jesus there too? The text doesn't seem to indicate that, that they did. And you guys do know they're not on a greyhound, right? I mean, this is kind of slow travel. There's a strategy to what they do. They're intentionally on the journey. There's a strategy to what they do. They know where to go. They know who they're supposed to speak to. The next thing they know is element three. They know what they're going to share. They know what they're going to share. And it's very interesting. I'm just going to summarize this part because we're going to focus a little bit more on element four, and they go hand in hand. In Thessalonica, if you read the text, what they shared was very clear. It was about Jesus, and Scripture was the basis. We see that in verses 2 and 3. If you look at Berea, down about verses 10 and 11, it's very clear, though it doesn't state it, but implicitly and tacitly, it's all about Jesus because these were lost folks who needed him. And they looked at the Scripture, and the Bereans then received what they said. And in Athens, it was all about Jesus and the resurrection. It was very clear what they were to share. And the fourth element of strategy is, is how we share it. And this, this, is, this is something I think is important to note, the differences in these cities. In Thessalonica, in verses 2 and 3, they reasoned from the Scriptures, and that word reason is used. In Berea, down about verse 11, they, they just shared because the people were open. They were of noble character, and God just took that and worked in the heart and life of the Bereans. Then you get to Athens, and that word reason is used again in verse 17, and proclaim is used again in verse 23. So their strategy involved going to specific places, speaking with specific people, sharing a specific Jesus a message about Jesus from Scripture, and sharing that message consistently over a time, and it was shared in a manner commensurate with a receptivity to that message. So look at how the people responded. In Thessalonica, I think we'd say the receptivity was okay, but it it wasn't great. If you look at the text, and you can read it on your own there, it says in Thessalonica, they reasoned, explained, and proved from scriptures, and the results were as follows. Some Jews believed, a large number of God-fearing Greeks believed, and quite a few prominent women. Then you skip over to Berea, and down around verse 12, we see a little bit different situation. 
receptivity was off the charts. They were noble people. The, the soil was good, to use the biblical analogy. And they just shared truth. They didn't even have to reason because God had prepared, prepared the heart of the people. And the results were as follows. A number of Jews believed. Many prominent Greek women believed. And many Greek men believed. And then they got to Athens and it was tough. And that was a large city of that day. It was a lot of influential kind of an educational culture. And people had all kinds of ideas. Scripture says they had the Epicureans there, and they, they had kind of beliefs that were kind of extreme in one way about avoiding pain, and you had Stoics there about self-mastery and indifference to pain and pleasure, and you had other people there that it's a new message. Sure, I'll listen, no problem. And what results did they find in Athens? Well, they found some results. Some believed, but really most just said, ah, okay, I'll think about it. You know, we kind of encounter all those same things as we share also, don't we? Some people are ready to hear the gospel. Some people will think about it because it's new and interesting. Some people we have to really reason with and explain and prove who Jesus is. But as I look at these guys, they were intentionally on their journey. They were strategically making decisions and taking steps to accomplish their goals, to maximize their effectiveness. They engaged the culture where the culture was, but as they connected with people, they sought to lead people beyond their culture through reason and explanation and proof to encounter the greatest message of all. And guys, we can't do that with talking points and sound bites. That may be a good way of connecting with people, but we have to build relationships where we can go deeper and begin reasoning with those God brings into our lives. Reminder one, be intentional. Reminder two, be strategic. Know where God's called you. Know, know, know what God's called you to share. Who To whom he's called you to share it. And reminder number three, we're called to embrace the consequences of our obedience. And that's, that's not a problem for any of us, right? Because obedience brings the blessing of God. But in this world, sometimes the consequences are good and sometimes they're bad. If you look at each of these cities after they shared and after people began to respond to the gospel, it's interesting what happens. Let's take a moment and read this scripture. In Thessalonica, look with me in verses 5 through 9. Look at what happens after some Jews believed and many prominent Greek women and prominent Greek men believed. It says other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Well, that would never happen in America, would it? Maybe not over Christianity, but over a lot of things, right? And if you keep reading, they rushed to Jason's house, that's where they were staying, in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men who've caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. And they all are defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there's another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. And then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. A little legal action against the civil disobedience. What happened in Berea? The people received. The Bereans didn't have any problems, did they? They were wide open to the gospel. What happened beginning in verse 13? When the Jews in Thessalonica, where he had just left, when they learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. And the believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. And those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and left their instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. They're having to leave town again. 
And what about Athens? What happened there? Well, look down about verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered and others said, well, we want to hear you again on this subject, but no, no real solution. You know, college towns, we're open to any kind of ideas, right? So we didn't form a mob. We just wanted to think about it a little bit more. Were they successful? Were they successful in Thessalonica? What do you think? Were they were? Why? They were obedient to people who believed. Were they successful in Berea? Think so? Same reason, right? Were they successful in Athens? Yeah. Why? Because they were obedient. They were intentional. They were strategic. They were willing to engage their culture, and they could live with the results of obedience. Well, guys, that's the text. It's very straightforward. It's very basic. It's very simple, but it's critical in our lives. As we kind of wind this down, I encourage you to study this passage more, but I want to share three or four things with you, just some thoughts for further consideration, some things that as you think about your life and as you think about your journey, maybe these are things as you spend time with God, you could ask God to, uh, good questions for you to ask as you continue on this journey. Here's the first one. What does it mean to reason with someone about the gospel? What does it mean to reason with someone about the gospel? I think that's an important word. Again, as I, as I thought about my life, I realized, if I'm very honest with you, that right now, as I think about my life, there are definitely some people that God has laid on my heart to pray for. There are some people that I've been inviting to attend church where we're attending church. There's definitely some people I'm trying to encourage on a day-to-day -day basis, coworkers and things like that. I can't identify a single person right now that I can say I'm reasoning about the gospel with when I really look at how they engage their culture. I'm not proud of that, but I'm trying to give you an example of how this text can apply to you, perhaps to your life. As we engage people, we want to share, we want to invite, we want to pray, but we're called to understand and share the truth of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross and what he did in rising from the dead and the hope that gives. And that requires reasoning, explaining, and proving from Scripture who Jesus is. Here's a second thing. Make it personal. Think about your life. What's the best way that you can intentionally and strategically engage this culture? When you think about that strategy, are there specific places that you just know God's called you there? It may be your work. It may be some coaching responsibilities. It may be involvement in a youth group or a school and friends that you have. Are there specific places where, where you know God has you there for a reason? As you're there, are there specific people that you just begin to sense a burden for? And you begin to pray about, God, give me some opportunities to, to share with them today. You know, those four elements of strategy are a great simple prayer every morning when we wake up. God, show me where you want me to go today, who you want me to talk to, what you want me to share, and how I'm supposed to share it, and I'll be obedient to that. What a great way to wake up every morning and just say, God, I want to make this personal in my life. Here's the third thing, and I think this is really important. We're talking about the gospel here good news about Jesus but that may not be the connecting point God gives you with someone it may be something very different than that 
you may be uniquely gifted and equipped through things you've experienced in life to connect with people who've gone through similar things. Uh, my wife Karen, as you know, battles panic disorder, and I've watched over the past couple of years as Karen has become an encourager and almost a mom to some ladies across the globe who deal with panic. It's interesting, she's one of the older ones, and she's dealing with these younger girls, and they're dealing with so many things. They're, they're, they need Jesus, but you know what they're dealing with? Should I keep my baby or abort my baby? I'm fearful I can't get out of the house today. Um, I'm thinking about suicide. What do I do? That's real stuff. And that's her connecting point. As I look at my life over the past several years, um, God's allowed me to experience a lot of twists and turns in life. And I can even share some of the same messages that, that I prepared as a pastor for seven years, and yet those messages have a different focus and they have a different connection point because I seem to connect more with people who find themselves in unexpected places. And you have that same story and that same background and that same experience. And God will bring people into your life and give you a specific way to strategically, intentionally interact with them. And that connecting point may not be the gospel initially, but as you build that relationship, man, you can build it to the gospel. One last thing, two things actually. I thought about the Bereans a lot. That's actually where this sermon started. I, I was thinking about how they, how they responded to the gospel and dug into scripture. And I thought about their journey these guys were on. Don't you think Berea was like a haven for Paul and Silas, at least initially? I mean, they've been, if you read chapter 16 and what these guys went through, it was rough. And they had a rough time in Thessalonica. And then they just go to Berea and share. If this is something new to you, engaging your culture with the gospel... Maybe you can just pray for God to send some Bereans into your life. Some people who don't know Jesus, but they really want to. They're people of noble character who, who are willing to look at the Scripture with you. What a great place to start. God, will you send some Bereans in my life? Or maybe you've been a believer for a long time, and right now you're weary because you have been reasoning, you have been explaining, you've been fighting the battle, and you're weary. And maybe you need to pray for some Bereans just as a means of encouragement people to receive the message that God has laid on your heart to share. Guys, Crosspoint is between pastors about to have a, another pastor come. Wouldn't it be great as that pastor comes whenever God brings that about, whomever that is. Wouldn't it be great for that pastor to get here and, and, and he could spend just the first several months just meeting with you one by one by one as you just share your journey of what God's been doing in your life and the people God has called you to impact. It can happen can happen. One last story and we'll close. 1993, I moved to Homa to be on church staff at First Baptist Church of Homa. One of the first people I met was a senior adult by the name of Glenn. He's a great guy. The pastor introduced me to him. He's retired. I believe he was in his 70s. Something had happened with Glenn. He'd been a believer for a long time, but about two years prior to that, God just did a special work in Glenn's heart, and he really seemed to better understand and embrace this call on his life, to be intentional, to be strategic, just to be obedient to God, to share the message. And I remember as a young youth pastor going to that church and, and talking to, pa to the pastor and talking to Glenn, and he said, Dennis, do you know how many people that Brother Glenn has had the opportunity to share Jesus with who've, who've responded over the past six to eight months? He said, I have no idea. He said over 70 people have come to know Christ 
because this retired blue-collar man had a fresh encounter with God, and he began being intentional about sharing the gospel. It's just like you and me, guys. We just have to have to have it on our heart to be available, to be willing, and let God do what only he can do. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this book of Acts. It shows us so much about how the early church impacted its culture. God, it encourages us. It challenges us. In my prayer today, as we reflect upon this book and as we reflect upon our own lives, is that we would let it be a mirror that reveals in our hearts and our lives encouraging reminders about how we're on mission with you. God, help us be a people who know how to take this wonderful, wonderful message to a talking point soundbites culture that so desperately needs it. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing in response to what we have heard? Mm -hmm.